You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier, Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Columbia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in rainy gray Bogota at the moment, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is episode 371 of the Columbia Calling podcast. Now, in a bizarre twist of fate, well, I believed in the podcast, of course, but indeed I wasn't entirely, entirely aware that uh, uh, episode 370 with Ana Maria Morales about rescuing birds of prey, raptors here in Colombia, was going to be so popular. It's actually morphing or becoming the most popular podcast so far most popular episode in 2021. So pretty exciting to hear about that. And thank you, Anna Maria, for your time and your, of course, unselfish uh, sharing of all the information and, of course, anecdotes from your, from your life. We're here in Bogota. Many uh, Colombian cities are in lockdown. Of course, there is a huge upsurge in, uh, in uh, cases of the virus due to the Brazilian variant, the Brazilian strain uh, that's kind of raising uh, the country at the moment. So if you are in Colombia, if you're listening to this in Colombia or in an at-risk area, please be safe. Please be careful. Back to the podcast, of course. This is episode 371. It's Andrew Gold is our interviewee. Well, he just joins us for a good free-flowing conversation. Um, Andrew Gold is a, a journalist. He's a TV presenter and makes documentaries. And uh, some of you may have seen some of his documentaries. He did do a documentary on exorcisms in Argentina. He speaks five languages. He's lived in six countries. And this is where uh, we come in. One of those countries is Colombia. So as I always say, people have a Colombia story course, if they've been here or are connected in some way to Colombia, there's always a Colombia story there. And he shares his Colombia stories with us. But a little bit about uh, a little bit about Andrew. He's a he's battled an abusive exorcist. He's duelled with the crazy baby lady. He's hunted UFOs. He's working on a book. Uh, and there's some fun facts about Andrew as well, just to, to whet your appetite a little bit more. Vigo Mortensen, so the, the very famous actor, I, th- I believe Vigo is a, grew up in Argentina, but Vigo Mortensen made fun of him, made fun of Andrew on live Argentine TV. Uh, after a joke went wrong in, on TV, he became known in Argentina as the last English virgin. Uh, he represented England in beer pong uh, and lost to a 12-year-old Panamanian girl. He was tear-gassed and water-cannoned while filming a doc about abortion. I imagine that was in Argentina as well. He studied English at Leeds Uni, holds an NCTJ in journalism, and knows shorthand. So there you go. He's won prizes, Best International Documentary at the Thin Line Festival in Texas on the documentary on exorcism. It's called Exorcism, the Battle for Young Minds. Uh, and of course, uh, BBC Three's Best of 2018 list and monthly editor's picks for the Sunday Times Pick of the Week. He's an Apple new and noteworthy, uh, well, recommendee for the uh, On the Edge podcast. And uh, so, you know, tune in. He's, he's a great guy. And 
we have a wonderful conversation. And of course, it's just, we just kind of let him go. And he talks about his life, talks about his experience. And even we talk about uh, picking noses. So there you go. So check out the Andrew Gold podcast. And that's andrewgoldpodcast.com. Of course, we've got the links on Facebook and Twitter and so on. And, and enjoy this podcast. Again, this is a shout out to those of you out here in Colombia at the moment. Malcolm Linton, who was on episode, I think it was 369 or 368. He will be giving photography workshops in Mompos, Colombia, at the end of May, in July, and in August. These, he is a renowned conflict photographer with experiences in Panama, uh, El Salvador, Nicaragua, genocide in Rwanda. He's obviously uh, covered the, car, uh, the FARC camps here in Colombia. But he, you know, spoiler alert, he was first shot, <laughs> the first time he was shot was in Panama during the U.S. invasion of Panama, Noriega's Panama at that time. Anyway, he's offering photography workshops at a really reasonable price. Just check out malcolmlinton.com, and on there it will say Mompox workshop and you can sign up there for quite an incredible opportunity to study and have your work critiqued by a top photographer in a UNESCO World Heritage Site of Montpos. And of course, where I come in is that we're offering net rate stays in the Casa Maria in Montpos and of course, San Rafael in Montpos for the duration of those courses. So please take a look and sign up. Uh, and so I'm going to go now, I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Emily Hart, journalist, UK journalist in Medellin, who will deliver the new segment for this week. And we'll be back again uh, in segment three with Andrew Gold talking really about his life. We're getting an insight into the mind of Andrew Gold. So this is episode 371 of the Columbia Calling podcast. Thank you again for listening. And as always, I'm so thrilled for feedback and anything you want to hear or say about the podcast. Review us, please. Bye-bye. I'm Emily Hart, and these are your top stories for the week of the 12th of April, 2021. Social and trade union organisations have called for a national strike and mobilisation on April 28th. Indigenous groups have also announced they will be joining the movement. The central motivation is the new tax reform bill announced by the government. The plans are being called the most unjust and unjustified reform of the last 30 years, risking more inequality and even more hunger, taking money from Colombia's worst off rather than the country's wealthiest. Although the final text of the reform remains unknown, it will seek to broaden the basis of taxes such as income tax and VAT in order to raise money for public spending. The bill has been con particularly controversial in its announcement that products such as sugar, coffee, salt and chocolate would be taxed with 19% VAT, because, according to the government, they are not basic products for Colombians. After national criticism, the president was forced into a U-turn on the taxation of those products, but the government has announced new austerity measures for public spending for this year. According to organisers, the mobilisation will be in person and in the streets, as the third wave of the pandemic is expected to have fallen by the planned date. Another massacre in the Cauca, with four people murdered in the rural zone of Santander de Quilachao. The massacre is Colombia's 26th so far this year. Five of the year's massacres and five assassinations of social leaders have taken place in Cauca, one of the Pacific region's historically neglected areas. Colombia's coal crisis deepens, as Prodeco, the largest coal producer in Colombia, has asked to return its mining titles and been denied by the National Mining Agency. Since the pandemic began, Prodeco suspended operations and began to take voluntary retirement plans for its employees and to lay them off. 
As global coal prices continue to drop, many companies, both national and multinational, are looking to divest coal assets across Colombia. Although Prodeco has not left the area yet, the suspension of its operations and the departure of around 700 workers has hard hit the economy of the area they operate, La Jagua de Ibirico. The agency's argument in its rejection of the request is that there are unfulfilled environmental obligations and inadequate support for the liquidation and payment of royalties. An attempt to legalise euthanasia has been sunk in Congress. The project of Liberal Representative Juan Fernando Reyes sought to approve euthanasia for seriously ill patients. The promoters of the project needed 85 yes votes to continue, but only obtained 82. 4.4% of Colombians have now received one dose of coronavirus vaccine, 1.6 are now fully vaccinated. Meanwhile, case numbers continue to climb as the third wave hits. Daily cases are now at around 17,000, up from around 3,000 at the start of last month and 10,000 at the start of this month. Cities all over the country are re-entering partial or complete quarantines. Curfews are now common and alcohol sales bans are widespread. ICUs are near full capacity in many cities. That was the news for this week. Now back to Columbia Calling with Richard McCall. And we're back. This is the third segment of Columbia Calling, episode 371. I'm in Bogota, back from Mombos on the Caribbean coast, and my very special guest this uh, this week is well, it's Andrew Gold. Some of you will know who he is. He's uh, well, a broadcaster, journalist, uh, journeyman, uh, but right now his podcast is making waves. It's called On the Edge with Andrew Gold. I listened to it, so there you go. Um, and it's just fascinating, but what you might not have known is that there is a Columbia connection here. So as tenuous as it may be, I am I will find anyone with a Columbia connection and talk about them here on the Columbia Calling podcast. So Andrew from in Berlin, welcome on the Columbia Calling podcast. Thank you for having me. Woo. <laughs> you're, thank you. You're most welcome. It's a no, it's a real treat because I mean I listen to you I would say more than once a week now because I'm still catching up. Uh, and wow. and your podcast, it, I, I can only assume that it's going from strength to strength because you're getting some really incredible people. Mm. Uh, I, I still haven't listened to one or two, which I think might I might not be able to stomach and you'll probably mm. be able to guess which ones those are but uh, mm. the, the 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 most recent one I've listened to is uh, was it uh, the the lady I guess in, uh, captured in Pakistan or um, in, incarcerated mm. in Pakistan but tell us yeah, just Sadia. a little bit why you why you set up this podcast well, yeah, I, I had been making uh, documentaries and things. I've worked as a presenter and uh, I, I guess a filmmaker, although I didn't really do, ever do any of the camera stuff. I was more of a journalist, so I wanted to be on screen. It was sort of a cop-out because it was that I wanted to make films and stuff and people would say, like, oh, would you want to be behind the camera? And it looked like I was this big egotist, like, no, I've got to be on screen. But it was actually because I knew I didn't have that sort of directing talent that a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. And then the option is like, well, you can be a producer. And I thought, I mean, some, for some people, that's great but for me it was like what do I want what I want to arrange stuff I mean that's the most boring part of like going on holiday or whatever isn't it arranging stuff I don't want to arrange stuff I want to like be in the scene and chatting to the guy and that kind of thing so it it became I, I got some stuff out for the BBC and some TV channels and it became increasingly difficult to make any sales commissions um, even the stuff I made, I had to make it first because it always got rejected. Mm. So I made it first, which just with no money and no budget and stuff. And anyway, long story short, 
um, I had been thinking of doing a podcast. Then I thought, oh, but everyone does them because there's. Pro- I think there are more podcasts than there are people now. So, <laughs> well, and I thought, well, what's the? What more do I have to offer? But then I thought. I kept getting no's for some of these stories about people who I just thought, no, but that story's got to be told. That person's amazing. Got to do that. And eventually I was like, you know what? I can't wait anymore. I can't, because they don't say no. They very rarely say no TV channels. They mm-hmm. always say like, uh, oh, uh, uh, okay, well let's, we're going to speak. And it's months and months and years and years. And then that person moves to another channel or, or you, you've lost, you're starting again. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, you know what? I'm doing it again. I'm, I'm doing this as a podcast and I'm going to, get these people out there and people people have taken to them you know it's, mm. it's enjoyable talking well, they have to uh, so give us a little bit of an idea i mean it, these stories are incredible they are incredible and a bit off beat i'd say not the you know not the mm. your, your routine stories and of course mm. i guess on the edge is being edgy but how many downloads yep. how many listeners are you drawing in now and you've got a patreon campaign which i think is going very well but how many so hmm. for for like the average podcast episode how, how many downloads do you get in a week or a month or so it gets in the first week a, a, a download uh, an episode will get uh 12 13, nice. or so but then it, the funny thing is that like, people used to measure in like months. They used to say, so what does it get in the first month? And that was like your amount. But I find that you get like 99% in the first week mm. and then like two people listen for the next three weeks. Yeah. The thing the thing that's misleading and frustrating with with it is, I mean, some of the ways that I've gotten listeners has uh, been when, when the podcast has been sort of selected by some of the platforms, because mm-hmm. obviously everybody knows Apple and Spotify and most people listening to this probably on those those apps as well. Mm-hmm. Um but Castbox, Stitcher, and there's you start. So that's what I started from the beginning. I was looking at these smaller ones where I mm. thought, oh, maybe I'll send them an email and just just let them know about my show and see what happens. And it got put on there, and it's misleading because what happens is you get like these hugely inflated numbers, and you think like, wow, I'm taking off. So you know, just a few weeks ago, I was getting like twenty five thousand in a week for a new episode. I was like, what? And then it comes down from the feature. Or not twenty five thousand necessarily from a new episode, but in total, all of this, mm. the whole thing, uh, it comes down and then it drops massively. And and what's happening is obviously some people just listen once and it's not yep. for them, and then other people like yourself, they're catching up. So you get this huge bounce because they listen once and they're like, oh, I love it. I'm going to listen to all forty of them, and then they've caught up, and mm. then you sort of tail off and you go back mm. to you know that that person only listens once a week from then on. That's really cool. But anyway, I mean, you leave me, as they say in Spanish or in Colombian Spanish, me has dejado en pañales. I'm in nappies alongside <laughs> that kind of number. So it's very flattering. Yeah. Uh, but I oh. mean, it's it's a great podcast. Uh, I listen on Stitcher, by the way, just so you know. I listen. Oh, on you're Stitcher. one of the Stitchers. Yeah, okay. I, um, I just prefer. And I, while I get most of my downloads and listeners on Apple and on Spotify, I prefer to shop around in different, uh, you know, apps. I just think it's you know, they, they deserve <laughs> to, all of the exposure possible against these behemoths. Yeah. <laughs> of, of, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but so, I mean, you know, I want to, I want my listeners and the few that I have to sort of look at your you know, list of your, um, of your podcasts to some people who, I mean, my listeners are tend to be, I think, between sort of 20 and I would say upwards of 40 as well. Uh, it's quite a big group there, uh, but very well-traveled. 
very well traveled mm, of course mm. they want to go to colombia or they've been to colombia it's not this doesn't go out to uh, like an expat community or an immigrant community most of my oh, interesting uh, listeners a lot are in the u.s and are of colombian descent second or third generations sure. so it's quite yeah. interesting that and if they were to sort of say well andrew gold what kind of what what of your episodes so far would you recommend to people out there as being the ones mm. that that should get them hooked Hmm. I often say when people ask, I often say, I think it's episode 12 uh, and it's a, a female Mormon psychopath. Yes. She's a, she's a self-confessed psychopath. And I just, I just like her. I like her, my dynamic with her. She's coming back on actually for my 50th episode in a couple of weeks, um, speaking to her in a couple of days. Um, and it's just, that was one of those ones where I enjoyed it myself because I'm sitting talking to somebody who's, again, if you're talking about well-traveled, I mean, she's in Utah. She's a Mormon. She's so different from me. Um, and she's telling me about, I don't know, I guess I guess what you want as an interviewer is you want honesty. And I don't know. Obviously, I'm not going to rely on a psychopath for honesty. That's a stupid thing to do. <laughs> but what I think, I think a lot of us are always trying to show people that we're more empathetic than we are. We try to imagine we're very empathetic. And she was just honestly saying, you know, I actually just don't care. And I said to her, you know, would you mind if I died, if something happened to me while you were watching, if somebody strangled me? And she was just like, you know, no, and I don't think you understand how this works, Andrew. And I was like, wow. <laughs> so it was just the honesty of that. And, and then I think episode 19 was with, and it depends how, um, how you know, if, it might be difficult for people whose second language is, is English, the coffin confessor, who is this Australian fellow, because he's very, uh, yes. a lot of slang and Australian and all this stuff. Uh, but he's this guy who goes to uh, goes to people's funeral. He gets paid ten thousand dollars or something by people who are dying, and then he turns up at their funerals and reveals secrets that they wanted revealed at their funerals. So, just such an it was such a beautiful thing that I somehow stumbled across online, and I just mm. thought, wow, I have to talk to him. And there were deeper reasons as to why he does what he does, and he's actually a beautiful soul. He's a yeah. he's a really interesting guy. I, but again, it was truth. Um, yeah. yeah, go on. I like that one a lot. There's a lot of yeah. humor in it. But as you say, he really felt he was doing something of a service. It wasn't like a, there was a story, a short story done by Roald Dahl many, many years mm -hmm. ago. And it was about sort of revenge like that, uh, where you'd, wow. it, he'd send people around to like beat people up or something, you know, it was like, but, and I, and it reminded me of that, but this guy does, did it with, with heart you know, you're Australian. Mm. He did it with heart. It was different. It wasn't, uh, yeah. you know, he wasn't going there, you know, deliberately trying to offend people. It was a dying person's wish. And, and I, yeah. I really liked it. And of course, the slang was way out there, <laughs> yeah. way out there. Yeah. I mean, he was, I don't know if he was, you know, born on the outback or something because it was, <laughs> it was hard. Yeah. <laughs> so we went to this, this bikey's funeral and they, they said to me, yeah, it was, yeah. it was tough, but I mean, he, stuff happened to him when he was younger and, and that gave him this obsession with mm. outing the truth. Another one, yeah, if people are interested would be Professor Sue Black. I'm not sure which episode it was. It was number 38, maybe I'm going to go with, and she just blew my mind and she's a criminal anthropologist mm. and she, <clears throat> she has done some things like 
you know, in the name of anthropology or whatever it is, she's gone to Kosovo and sort of melded through or rummaged through uh, melted bodies to try and identify them. It's that kind of thing she has to do. Uh, she's carried like um, uh, dead uh, well, heads. She carried heads, people's heads on a, in, in designer bags on a passenger plane, she sort of smuggled them on. She's an absolute hero because she needed, she, she knew she needed to be able to analyze them better in the UK. Mm. Like, fascinating person so so that one's uh one as well that I would wow recommend to and they really are and, and it, these are the result of just trawling through going down rabbit holes on the internet and finding these people yeah yeah it, there, there are times when uh i've got loads and loads of people lined up by loads i mean four or five you know yeah. i i know people uh, i don't know how it is for you i mean how, do you have people in advance I, you know, I try and do people just a week in advance. I try. Or yeah. if I'm traveling, then a couple of weeks. I've always got two or three sort of simmering away in the background. But I don't want to rush anything. And, and because it, I try, I don't know, it's hard to make it timely all the time. But I try. <laughs> yeah, I try. yeah. No, I totally get that. It's, it's it, yeah, it is that struggle. Uh, most of the time it's okay. Yeah, three or four people I might have lined up, which I do now. And then, I mean, somebody I had on called Mad, uh, Madeline Black, Madeleine Black, and that hasn't come out yet, the episode. It will maybe next week or the week after. Um, but she came on, she, you know, unfortunately, when she was 13, she was gang raped and she learned to forgive her her attackers in a, in a way. Um, and I read her book and, and had her on. She has her own podcast and I went on that. And she said when I got off, she was like, okay, so that will come out at the end of August. And this was like February. And I was like, You've, she had six months of people of recordings already lined up and Incredible. I was I was flabbergasted yeah most people I speak to they'll be out next week there there was there have been times and there was particularly a time around Christmas when it was difficult to get people on I suppose everyone's got family stuff going on and I just got to the point where my audience was large enough that they were sort of getting used to it and relying on it and you hear all the time don't you that you know consistency everybody has to know that your podcast they have to trust your podcast going to come out at the right time so i was panicking absolutely and i even ended up like the day before it was supposed to come out i had nothing and uh, this guy replied who i'd actually tried months ago called uh, johnny benjamin mbe he's uh, he's got schizoaffective disorder um and he's a, he's quite a famous sort of uh, mental health advocate so he was sort of a big deal for me to get on the podcast and it was such a relief mm. and i was like yes yes please now can you do today and we got it done otherwise yeah uh you know i look at stuff like the guardian experience column mm. they've got some great stuff there i just found uh last week uh, a guy told a story about how he was on that flight from uruguay to chile that that crashed in the andes oh um, the alive one yeah yeah so he had just done a little article that you know because he's had a book out uh, and I just saw that and I went, oh, oh, okay. And, you know, I thought maybe I can, I can say, oh, because I lived in Argentina as well, after Colombia, I can be a bit like, hey, que pasa? <laughs> you know, come on my podcast. So he's coming on in a couple of weeks. So that Guardian experience and, and, and yeah. websites like that, Twitter, you sort of word of mouth, people, people yeah. say, oh, have you tried so-and-so? And, you know. So that's, I mean, it's amazing. I'm definitely, definitely tuning in. Well, I tune into them all, but I'm definitely tuning into the one, uh, the Alive story. That's something that's, <sighs> I've just obviously seen the film. I've read the book. <laughs> I haven't spoken to anyone. I, I wanted to at one point, if it was possible. They were Uruguayan, right? They were a Uruguayan yeah. rugby team? Something That's like right. that. That's yeah. um, right. Yeah. So, well, I mean, there's. I, I have to say, and we sort of draw it back here, but 
there's some similarities here in in although i haven't got into tv so much or anything but there's some similarities here because I, I tend to stick to print journalism but you mm. were working on a newspaper in the uk uh yeah. and it was not something that i could say it didn't inspire you and and <laughs> i think i went through a similar although not as extreme, <laughs> so not as extreme experience. I worked the, for, well, I walked out after two weeks on the social pages of a newspaper called the Daily, Daily Telegraph because I was being told back in, I want to say 2001 or 2002, something around then, to like chase Paris Hilton in nightclubs and things like that, which for about an evening was fun. And then mm. after that, it was just dull. And so two weeks yeah. and I laughed, I, I walked out of that. But Tell us about your experience, because I think on the same sort of basis, you just needed to get away. And that's something I think now, 18 years later, I'm still getting away. <laughs> so <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about the, the journalism experience mm. back in the UK. I'm surprised that was happening at the Telegraph because it's the is for those who don't know that's sort of our probably our most highbrow newspaper, isn't it? Yeah, but it's a small social section that was called Peterborough back in the day, and now I think it's called London Spy or something. And it was a, oh, uh, I think it's called that. I don't really pay much attention to it. I was referred to mm. on the desk as the uh, unimpressed one the unimpressed boy <laughs> because i just didn't okay i just i couldn't you know what uh, the person who came third in big brother two i had to look for you know sure uh, yeah that's what i it's exactly what i was doing at the sun which is a uh for those who don't know that's more is a lowbrow uh sort of uh yellow they call it what amarillo or something do they call it like that in colombia yeah i I, I said that a few times in argentina no one knew what i was talking about no, here, yeah. It must have been colombia yeah <laughs> Uh, oh yeah okay that's what it is so <laughs> yeah it was it was a job you know it was my first job I was 21 22 or something I'd been living in France for a few years before that studying there and stuff mm. uh, which I loved and I loved languages and basically I was working nights at the sun and it was good money for what it was you know I've never earned anywhere near that money since then in the 10 years that have passed since then so I'm 32 now I was 22 then um and I was also doing those kinds of stories. Oh, look, here's, you know, Beyonce without makeup on. How wonderful. Like, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. who cares? And and it was night shift. And it was, so I was working, you know, not that late, but 8 p.m. till 4 a.m. Um, and then drove home, you know, through the night. And there'd be sort of, oh, yeah, people partying and stuff. And I was like, this is... Uh, I just, I couldn't do it really. I got through a whole winter. I was there for a year, year and a half. And what, one of the things I was responsible for most nights was um, ensuring that the page three girl, which was in this newspaper on the page three, everyone in the UK knows the page three girl was a, sort of a, a woman newspaper. And even more ridiculous looking back, I think it was ridiculous at the time. And looking back, it was like, was that, did that happen? I don't think they do that anymore. Um, I, yeah, I think they've, 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 I think they've cut off the, the topless uh images now haven't they and you were working nights at the sun a tabloid mm. newspaper with a reputation and you were uh you were in charge of making the page three model that goes out on the ipad 3d yeah yeah so i don't know anything about computers or anything but it was just a case of they showed me how to do it it was the ipad there was the ipad edition of the newspaper because a lot of our work was just getting stuff online it's so it's boring even to talk about but basically she was 3d so you could twirl her around i mean the whole thing was just so utterly degrading uh for her 
well, I, you know what? I don't want to speak for her. I mean, if they want to do that, they want to do that. But it was degrading for me. That's how I felt. Um, and yeah, I had a cousin who was working out in Venezuela at the time. He'd gone out for like a couple of years. He was going through a bit of a hippie stage, working on coffee farms and the like, you know, staying at each sort of finca, you know, for a few weeks at a time. And he said that he and his girlfriend, who he, at the, of the time, uh, were basically moving around and they, they had planned in a few months to be in Colombia. Mm. So he said to me, this was uh, my, my cousin's soul. He said, uh, yeah, we'll be there. This was like April or March or something. And he said, June the 23rd, we're going to get to Chinchina, which is the smallest of small villages in the cafe region of Colombia. Yep. Um, and he said, it was a very brief chat. It was like three in the morning where I was in the sun. I hadn't spoken to him for years, but he's, it's one of those relationships where we're very, very close, even if we don't speak for a long time. And it was, he just said, yeah, come out. Uh, we'll be there. I'll meet you at the police station at, uh, at like, you know, 11 a.m. on the 23rd. And I went, I was sort of thinking it was a laugh. And I was like, all right, mate, just messaging him. And I'd never done anything like this before. I then got the son to sort of let me do a, an article about the flower festival in Medellin. Mm -hmm. They didn't really want to do that because why would the son do that? But it was like a travel piece. And the reason was because then I could go to Air France or whoever it was, I don't even remember, and say, can I have a free ticket? And we'll mention you in the piece for the newspaper. So I got a free flight because I had no money. But So I got a free flight out um, on the, for the 23rd of June. And obviously, a few weeks before going, I, I messaged my cousin a few times, but he never had internet. He, he was in the middle of nowhere. So I didn't hear a thing from him from the moment we'd had this almost, I want to say drunken, but we hadn't drunk, but it was like that kind of chat mm -hmm. uh, late at night. And I started thinking that in the days before going, like, God, what if he, surely he, he might have changed his plans. What am I going to do? I don't speak any Spanish because I didn't at the time. I'd started learning through a few different, you know, Michelle Thomas and uh, Babel and all that stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I just flew out there and decided not to get my flight back home. And I told my manager or whatever at the Sun, you know, I wasn't going to come back. I'm not sure I told uh, everyone there or the airline. I don't know if I was, but I don't know. But yeah, I went out there, got the flight to Bogota, and then there was a overnight bus from Bogota, I suppose, to Manizales. Uh, I think that sounds right. And then from Manizales, there was an, like, and it was one of these things where for me, obviously when you're already out in Colombia uh, or, or you've been to these sort of quite distant places, remote places, it's, it's all part, you know, it's part of it, you know, but for me at the time, this was like shocking and scary. I was 22 on my own, no money, no language and stuff. And I just remember that, yeah, that sort of van ride uh, from Bogota to Manizales, horrible overnight, boiling hot, water dripping through the ceiling. <laughs> I was squashed between some quite overweight. I was squashed between an overweight couple. They were both, I, I, I'm not, I'm not poking fun, but they were, you'd call them obese, I think, which, which is fine. I got no problem, you know, but when you're squashed between them and I said to them, like, do you want to sit next to each other? I just remember this. I haven't thought about this in 10 years. I said, do you want to sit next to each other? And they were like, no, we're fine. And I was trying to get this out in Spanish. I couldn't speak at the time. I was like, uh, juntos. And uh, they were like, no, we're fine at this. And they were just talking across me the whole way for eight hours. I was stuff dripping. It was the worst thing ever. Um, yeah, from Manizales, I think we went to another town. And then from that town, I had to, for the first time in my life, I had to hitchhike. So it was just for, for a lot of people, who, potentially even people listening, this would be like, well, this is normal stuff in traveling. For me, this was not at all you know two days before i'd been in the sun's like posh offices uh you know fiddling with page three girl on the on an ipad and now i was in the middle of nowhere 
Um, and I just said to these people drive me, it was this little family of people in a little car. I said, could you take me to the police? Like, police, yeah. <laughs> they probably thought it was an emergency or whatever. What I didn't expect, and, you know, the police station was a hut. It was basically a hut with two like sleepy fellas there and there was nothing for miles around just mountains and greenery and tiny little wooden sort of shack so it was all very scary and interesting i got there it's like seven in the morning i've got i haven't spoken to my cousin in months and i hadn't hadn't slept for about three days because of the traveling and i said to these police guys i was like my my, my cousin's name's sol and i said uh, sol solomon sol like that's all i knew and rebecca or becky that was his girlfriend and they sort of sort of thought for one I went oh see see I see uh, you know because they, they and they were like see 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 uh, like being so like you know and they let me go and sleep in their little hut I had like a four or five hour sleep at sort of this was seven in the morning I think and uh and one of their little it was like a sort of bunk bed a little room with bunk beds where I guess they sleep and I sort of had a little sleep for a few hours and I got woken by my cousin who I hadn't seen for years jumping on top of me with his long hair and beard that he'd grown from being out there for years and his girlfriend as well they were both jumping on me and very exciting and yeah we worked out there on this coffee farm which I'm not suited to uh everything hurt everything was my neck was hurt for a couple of weeks it was two three weeks uh this woman's small little farm we were just hacking away uh weeds and stuff that you know are interfering with the coffee plants i then traveled around colombia uh not with him we, we sort of hung around in Pereira, armenia like that kind of area for a while manisales and um and then me and another a friend of mine came out and we, we sort of traveled around the whole of colombia for six weeks and then i settled in medellin for almost a year just sort of living i think that story about getting to the police station is phenomenal uh, that must have been if it's 10 years ago 2011 so mm. yeah maybe yeah so i was already <laughs> here <laughs> living here um and i i love it that you because it's the coffee zone where people are just so wonderful and that's the yeah. truth of it so well educated so polite and therefore you came across your cousin unknowingly or knowingly organized for you to meet in a part of the country where you know you were going to be received at the police station there are parts of the mm. country where they would not receive <laughs> you at a police station and let you sleep in their bunk yeah. <laughs> and and arrange for you know an english hippie to pick you up in the morning <laughs> it, 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 it sort of encompasses everything that you need to know about Colombia and how wonderful it can be and how nice the people and open they can be with you. And then obviously you weren't on the um, Finca Morelia or anything like that up, uh, up in Chinchina because I know, I know where Chinchina is mm -hmm. <laughs> and I've, I've stayed on a, a coffee farm nearby and actually for my small uh, guest houses in Monpos, we ship in uh, coffee from from that town <laughs> so, ah, right. but i i doubt it's from the farm you were on i don't know <laughs> I, well you never know maybe i actually helped grow your coffee maybe you did uh, <laughs> uh maybe that was it uh but so and then you settled i just that's so great they just sort of brought you in <laughs> sleep on the sleep on the bunk but i 
awesome um it was nice it was nice. it was a nice welcome after especially after the night i'd had with these other fellas you know this other couple on, on the bus it was such a lovely and obviously i was just so happy it's one of the happiest memories i think i can remember uh probably in my life actually uh, but that speaks also to the fondness i have for my cousin who's a couple of years older than me and, and i hadn't seen him in such a long time and also just the beauty of of this thing you know when you're so used to the daily grind in london um which i had been to have something where it's like we haven't spoken for months and i have no idea if he's going to even turn up but he did the exact hut in this in this what as you know is otherwise just endless hills and mountains yeah. of greenery and coffee and stuff i mean it could have gone so wrong and i just think you you again stuck between two let's say supersized people on the bus you know the water dripping from the air conditioning i can just imagine them talking over you and you're just thinking what have i done what am i doing (laughs) i was miserable i was so miserable i tried sleeping at one point i remember that i tried I, i think the thing is people uh i guess they're from a different sort of uh economic stratus or whatever you know what, what there's a word in Columbia, isn't there? Is it strata, strata? strata strata they always use that word it's so funny because outside of Columbia, i've never heard that i always i remember that now i was i was living with some colombians in medellin and they were always like well that person's strata one yeah uh, he's a bit of a strata five and i was like what are you talking about but i guess people who are much more used to sort of that journey and that kind of lifestyle um can bear it you know and they're just fine and then they're sleeping and they're snoring and this and i was just like you know, I ended up lying on the floor. It was like one of those sort of metal crinkly aisles that was just sort of, you know, and um, and there's obviously really loud reggaeton playing the whole time or whatever it was. I don't know if it was reggaeton, but it's something that I didn't know. And I'm just lying on the floor and just all these people were looking. I was twice everyone's height as well because I'm six foot four. So everyone's looking at me and I was like, uh, sueño, you know, cansado. I didn't know how to say it and all that. <laughs> yeah, horrible. Oh, it's... <laughs> It's a great Columbia story. Everybody gets a Columbia story. It's that's my my belief. It's a great <laughs> Columbia story. And then yeah. so hang on, you 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 settled on you settled on and settled in Medellin for for a year and you were you were working. You managed to get mm. some work, some remote work there because I yeah. I only bring this up because people email me I would say almost on a weekly basis considering moving to Medellin for remote work and now it's it's a hub for that I mean you can't swing a cat without finding a Canadian an American or someone you know on their Mac in a coffee shop remote work (laughs) yeah yeah, it was, it was, you know, something I never knew if I could do. I, look, I had the luxury of, I, I come from a middle-class background and you know, nothing ridiculous or anything, but just, just enough that if I ran into problems, my parents would, would pay for a flight back home. Yeah. I, that is a luxury that a lot of us, probably almost everybody who goes there has. Um, and if you don't have that luxury, you can go, but I mean, it's a risk. Uh, so I knew that, okay, from the money I'd earned at the Sun, I had like two months if I didn't find anything. It wasn't very expensive to live out there. Um, and worst case scenario, you never want to do this as an adult because you, it's the self-respect thing and your parents will never let you forget it as well. Whatever you do after that, it's like, well, we had to help you that time. So that was last resort. And I got there and, yeah, started just messaging and emailing and saying I can write about this or that. And I was quite... Um, 
because I was young, I was very, very idealistic about this and that. And it was like, I'm making this coffee, but who gets to drink coffee? You know, not the Colombians. Mm-hmm. It goes to, so I was writing for you know, Occupy.com or what is stuff, you know, kind of, I, I, you know, I'm not interested in now, but at the time that was like my youth of exuberance. Um, and, and, and yeah, that was it. And then there was a few other things. And, and look, at the end of the day, this is, this is my experience of freelance, at least journalism writing. And I'm sure you've seen the same thing and the same in filming and stuff is that, if you want to make a steady living, you've got to do, you know, um, corporate work in whatever domain it is. So I've got a friend who's like the best director I've met, right? He's fantastic. He did this Exorcist film that I got to the BBC. Mm. He, it was just me and him that made it together filming. He's brilliant. And he he's now got work all the time. He didn't, but it's it's 99.999% corporate stuff. Gets flown around the world, right? He's at the top of that now. He's mm. doing brilliantly. But uh, he would also probably like to make some really creative stuff about, you know, the stuff that we made and the same with writing. So the vast majority of the work I've done the last 10 years working remotely, which I still do in Berlin, has been for, you know, travel companies. And I would write about cities and hotels and beaches and whatever without actually going. They don't send you. If you want to be a travel writer where they send you, which I suppose a lot of listeners of yours probably have that dream, unfortunately, those those people tend not to get paid very much or anything at all. The, the payment is in the trip nowadays. Obviously, back in the day, in the 70s and 80s, you know, that was a lucrative career. So you can do it. And it was fun at first. I was writing for like, I think MSNBC and Occupy.com and a few other Huffington Post or whatever. And you're getting sort of, okay, you work all week and you get 50 quid. It's not going to pay your bills. And then eventually I found a few companies that, you know, travel media writing or whatever it is. And, and that got me steady work. I didn't have to look for a story. The problem is you become lazy and you don't look for any stories then. You're just like, well, you know, and I ended up with a fairly nice place and quite an impoverished area. That was sort of my, uh, the balance, you know, I wanted to go, it was somewhere uh, in the west of Medellin. Um, and it was really almost a slum where I, where I was walking around. And yet it, it had these, this beautiful high rise with top security and all this stuff. And I was loving it. I was swimming in the pool every day and just, it was like a holiday for a year. And then going up and working for a couple of hours, uh, writing about travel, some cities around the world and stuff. You can't do that forever, you know? Um, after about, ten, I got into almost a rut because at first that's wonderful and the, the novelty. And obviously, I made friends and stuff, and we went out to Parque Chiras, which in Poblado was all kicking off. Uh, and we had fun and we, you know, traveled a bit, this and that. But the majority of the time, I, I became a bit lazy, I think. And I, I sat on my laurels. Uh, is that an expression? Yeah. Yep. The right? Rested on my <laughs> laurels. Rested on my laurels. Um, because you do, because you've got this luxury. I've never had that. I'm sitting by a pool and I've got these beautiful views around me and I'm working on my laptop for like three hours a day and writing about some cities and they were brilliant. After 10 or 11 months of that, I was like, I need to sort of kickstart my life now and, and get back to being ambitious, I suppose. Mm. Now I've, I've, uh, yeah, fell into that trap a long time ago as well. The, and well, mm. I really lost interest, you know, mm-hmm. the, the format of writing about, sort of hotels or trips that you could do and i you know and i and i I, in the years between i've fallen back into it every now and then for some you know dollar payments and let's not lie i still do it yeah there's yeah but my the the joy with which i approached it 
as a young man without children <laughs> is quite different to how I behave now. And uh, while yeah. I would still, you know, uh, receive the dollar payments, you can tell that my heart's not in it. And, you know, I look back mm. at it and you're like, that, you know, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I look down at, read over it again. So I'm, I'm glad that you went through, you know, that phase. And of course, we'll go into the next phase. But did you, you didn't um, fall into the trap of always having to mention Pablo Escobar in your articles when you're based mm. in Medellin? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> of course I did. I was 22. So of course I did. But well, not in my articles, because again, I, I wrote like four articles and one was about the flower festival. And then the rest of it was just, it became all corporate stuff. Yeah. I, I can't remember exactly. Maybe I wrote five to 10 articles. I don't even remember what they were about. Uh, and it, it was all just working for different companies. Uh, go to this place in Miami and you're, this is what you'll find. And, you know, mm -hmm. um, the, the, the other thing is that what I would say, and the difference is of course, being young. So firstly, when you're young and you don't have kids and you're 22, it's very different because you, you, you just feel like, okay, I could do this for a year or two. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter because eventually I'll, you know, but you do have to have that moment where you stop it eventually. And mm -hmm. I, like I said, I still do that work. But I'm, I'm striving for other things as yeah. well and then mixing it up. Whereas back then I was like happy to do the minimum to have enough to survive and sit by the pool. That was it. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing was back then, and it was the same when I first got to France. I love language. So I've, you know, I got to, I lived in Brazil for a while and then Germany. Uh, and each time the first year or so, it was like the excitement was, okay, even if I haven't achieved anything else all day, I probably learned two new words mm -hmm. or something. So that you're, you're progressing, you know? Do I, do I recall you saying in one of the podcasts you speak like seven languages? Five languages. Oh, five, five, seven. Yeah. Who's counting now? I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, but it's even less impressive when I say I include English among them. So I'm like, I, I never say I learned five languages. I always very carefully say I speak. I learned to speak five languages. Very good. Still very impressive. <laughs> I mean, still very impressive. <laughs> well, it's just, look, it's where you are, you know? It's where you stay and live and it's the, the girlfriend or friends you have. Um, so my Spanish when I left Colombia was, was good. It was, it was passable. I could, you know, I would go out, I could go out, I lived with Colombians. So we, and they didn't speak English. So we chatted and stuff. What was really funny was moving to Argentina then. And I did not understand a word mm -hmm. of what anyone said. And I felt it was close to having to learn another new language mm -hmm. almost. Uh, and now if you to hear me speak Spanish, you wouldn't know I ever set foot in Colombia. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, well, you know, I first arrived here having worked in Peru a long time and checking mm -hmm. into a hostel way back in the day. And they were like, yeah, OK, English passport, but you're Anglo-Peruvian, right? And I was like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> but it happens. I mean, it happens. Yeah. And, and uh, I, now my Spanish is very much uh, punctuated with the Costeño accent because of all the mm -hmm. time I spend up there and people in Bogota just look at me as like this gringo speaking like a Costeño but you know yeah. it, you pick it up and it's the way you have to communicate it's the truth of it and uh, uh, but so I mean you uh, we're coming to an end but I know that my listeners you you ended up in Buenos Aires and you stayed there for what seems like a generation I mean was it six years <laughs> yes yeah, six years wow and so, and yeah. that's it. And now you've moved with your Argentine girlfriend to, to Berlin. 
<clears throat> yeah, yeah. It was, it was six beautiful years out there and a lot of time with her and her family. That, that's always been something I, I wanted. It sounds, uh, I don't want it to sound sort of cynical or, or something, but I wanted to meet a local, uh, maybe girlfriend or something. It was something I found difficult in Medellin for, you know, whatever reason. Uh, in Argentina, I met uh, my girlfriend, Juli, and I, I love that because it was like I'm away from home and I'm doing all, all this sort of adventurous stuff, but then I have sort of a, a base, which is her mm. family, uh, going around every Sunday for dinner and the Argentine grandparents and all that kind of thing and the asado, although I became vegetarian later. It was too much. It was too much meat, all the asados and uh, the uh, barbecues in, in Argentina. But... Um, yeah, it was a beautiful time. And eventually, again, it was like, it's time to leave. And she had always sort of had, um, you know, aspirations to maybe go to Europe. She was, she's a lawyer. So she got her law degree done. We waited. That's why it was so long, six years. While I was out there, I did this film about an exorcist who was a, a, abusing uh, young women, uh, got that out on BBC. So that was good for my career. And then, yeah, we had the opportunity to come to Germany. And we thought, okay, new language, new everything. And... You know, we've been here two years now, Berlin, and then we're probably leaving in, in you know three to six months because she wants to convert to being a British, a, a, the UK law system. So finally, after you know ten, eleven years, you know, it's time to go home. Big step, big step back to yeah. the UK, uh, especially after you know having moved around so much. I mean, you know, okay, six years in Argentina it shows certain dedication uh but it's <laughs> still moving around a lot not your home country and so on and big step for her to to go across but yeah. I, well you know i i would think in a few years after the uk you're both going to get itchy feet again i mean it seems to be very much in your in your dna in your makeup so mm. <laughs> we'll see yeah. But so what's we'll the see, master yeah. plan then i mean as we as we wind this down you get back to the uk you're uh, you know, taking over, I, I don't know, uh, a TV show, uh, more documentaries. <laughs> what, what are we looking at? I've semi given up on that. The documentaries, it is just too difficult. And right now there is a big push on like diversity and stuff like that. And, and without getting, you know, controversial or anything, like if you step into a production company right now, you know, they, they don't want a white man. Right. They say, they say that to me, um, and, you know, fine, you know. Uh, and then they say, but you could go behind camera or something. And I'm like, well, I've talked to that's the reason. I don't want to do that. I find that boring, unfortunately. Mm. But there are, you know, there are so many things you can do. So I want to keep going with the podcast, grow it. You know, if it's sort of, if the podcast gets to a point where it's a little bit more than it is now uh, in terms of audience, I'll be able to support myself. Mm. Um, especially if, if my girlfriend's a you know, lawyer in the UK, you know, it will be fine. Yeah. And then I'm writing a book about secret keeping right now. Um, yeah. It's in with a literary agent. So if that comes out, I'd love to just write books, yeah. make the podcast. I don't need a, a you know life of luxury or anything like that. Just yeah. uh, that's a nice life, isn't it? I'm happy yeah. with that. I, this is uh, when people fill out this survey because you put it up on Twitter. Can you see where the uh, responses came from? Uh, no good because i filled it out 
<laughs> Thank you for filling it out. Yeah, no, I have no idea. You know what? This, it's so funny. So for people who don't know, yes, I, I put out a survey because I... And the thing is, look, these books, you, you find surveys from like actual uh, sociologists and psychiatrists and stuff like that. So the books eventually will be filled with that stuff, but it's a little bit more boring, their stuff. Their stuff's obviously professionally done. You know, there's so much, so many steps that a professional has to do, whereas I just went, right. Lots of questions. You answer them. Fuck it. I don't mm-hmm. so, but um, yeah, I just thought how many how many how many scientists are asking about nose picking at home? Uh, how many are asking about uh, you know masturbation and things like that? I don't think there are many out there that are as sort of gross and ridiculous and silly. And I thought that will help me get to sort of the essence of of what it is to be human at home. I do get I do get a bit, and it's part of why I've done the podcast as well. I do get very frustrated and bored by our sort of the the face we have to present to the world not that i think we should have to go out and pick our noses in front of each other i think it's great that we don't do that but i also don't i think it's bad that and, and nose picking is just an example but i think it's bad that a lot of us feel shame for doing certain things we do we imagine we're the only ones uh, and we're certainly not what's funny is i mean as you know there's a lot of rude questions in that survey mm-hmm. which will go in my book and then you know my dad said to me uh he was like i've done one of them and i was like oh god so i've read i've read unwitting i don't know who's who so i've read his one about all the stuff which is a bit of a disgusting well, one of the questions is well there's not only uh you know about marital infidelity but it's also there's one about picking your nose that's isn't it, isn't it? oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the nose, the nose <laughs> right <laughs> The reason that's interesting to me is because while I've been researching, you know, the essence of the secret, what secret keeping is, and it's a secret keeping is something that can create more shame than we even realize. It can actually lead to both mental and physical uh, illnesses if you keep too many secrets. Uh, so it's it's this really powerful thing. Uh, and there's loads of evolutionary, really interesting things about it. Uh, but there's also this thing of where does a secret overlap with, for example, a lie? Is a, is a lie a secret, right? Yes, sometimes, maybe not. The other one is when is it a secret and when is it privacy? What is privacy? What is a secret, right? Some, you know, the conclusion I've come to so far is that um, uh, something that is done, uh, something that is expected of you in the privacy of your own home, right? That is not a secret. So a couple that has sex regularly, that's not really a secret, is it? It's it, you would, they wouldn't want anyone to know, but it's not a secret. It's assumed. Mm-hmm. Perhaps a couple who never has sex, maybe that is a secret, right? Mm-hmm. They would. That's like, oh, have you heard about that? It becomes a secret. So it becomes about this, uh, this uh, active, active hiding of something. It's an active hiding, and nose picking was interesting. I thought <laughs> just because. It's so common. I think so far something like 85% of people have said they do it regularly, like a lot. Uh, And we almost never see people doing it. It's seen as like the most disgusting, shameful thing. And it's right on the boundary of like some people saying, but that's privacy because you you expect people to pick their nose at home. And I was like, well, I don't know if I did expect that actually. I thought maybe am I the only one or is someone else the only one? Um, Maybe that's a secret. And and still, fifteen percent or twenty percent are saying they've never done it. They never pick their noses. Lies. Yeah, lies. lies I, know, I know. Everyone picks their nose. Exactly. And and I don't know if my father was in the eighty percent who does, or the fifteen or twenty percent who who don't. But I'm I'm sure I've seen him do it. So. Well, I, I hope it's only the picking his nose that he's been on there because those there were some pretty uh, pretty deep Ugh. questions on there. But uh, we, we ramble on. Um, what will the book yeah. be called? 
It, I don't know yet. It's so early. It's so early. You'll have to get me back on when it comes out in about yeah. a year and a half to, if it's if it even gets a publisher. So I don't even know. But I've written like twenty thousand words. I've been going mad with it. That's a lot of words. That's a lot of words. Well, yeah. I think that's. I think it's fascinating. And and to be able to obviously you take the scientific side and you get the sociologists and whatever, but and and mm. the scientists and the psychologists. But then your side to these things and make it more digestible because that's, yeah, that's the idea isn't it and accessible well, yeah yeah well, thank you so much for this and for sharing and for the story mm. the bus story and chinchina <laughs> and medellin and everything else and that well yeah you know the mention of the page three girls that takes me back <laughs> to, yeah, yeah, to yeah, the time yeah. past oh, and um i wanted to say something quickly because you mentioned one of your <laughs> one of your episodes of the female mormon psychopath it just made in my head that just sounds like a Russ Mayer movie, you know. Like, you know the title. Russ Mayer. He did things like uh, movies that were always a bit bawdy, and and it was like far. I think he one of his was Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, uh, <laughs> and things like that. So female Mormon yeah. psychopath sounds, you know, it's in there. Female Mormon uh, psychopath. In that uh, uh, summary, when in, in that paragraph, anyway. Listen. Uh, people can find your podcast everywhere. It's on every platform and they can find yeah. you as well on Patreon. So they can throw a few mm. dollars, pounds, euros your way if, ne well, it's oh, always yeah. needed. Um, yeah, well, they won't want to until they've, until they've heard, I think you typically have to have heard five or six episodes before somebody starts going, you know what? It would be strange if they started giving me money before they even listened to the first. But do so anyway. I mean, that's it. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> Listen, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for sharing oh, your experiences and, and so on. It's been a real pleasure here on the Columbia Calling podcast. And when the book is out, and if you're not too famous, please come back oh, yeah. on <laughs> the Columbia Calling podcast and and tell us all about it and tell us about, uh, I don't know, the demographic of people in Colombia picking their noses. Um, oh, yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. So listen, look it up. Listen to the podcast. Really interesting indeed. Uh, and so that's this week. We're going to sign off. Uh, I've been Richard McCall here in Bogota, Colombia, talking to Andrew Gold of On the Edge with Andrew Gold. Check out the podcast. A big thank you again for being on this episode 371. And we'll be back next week with further interviews or further conversations with people with some sort of tenuous link to Colombia, of course. And uh, thank you. It's been it's been a lot of fun.